know what they say. 60% of the time it works. Every time. But what in the world does that have to do with weather? Welcome to What Is It About The Weather podcast. We explore the many ways that weather intertwines itself into our lives. I'm your host, Mark Jelanek. This week we're going to be talking about your weather ratio. But as always, before we make the step down the main topic line, hope your weather is going well. You know, transition seasons, sometimes they transition fast, sometimes they transition slow, and sometimes they pause, right? I've been in one of those pauses. You guys know I like fall, so I'm okay with that. It hadn't gotten hot again. I was remembering a couple years ago, I was making a trip, kind of doing some camping and stuff. And how absolutely hot it was the first week of October. And it you know, when that cold front finally came through. And it was just like, ugh, so much better. Now, haven't had to deal with that. But fall's been a little slow. Leaves have been a little slow to change in my area. After things got roaring, it's kind of, you know, chilled out a little bit. But thankful that I get more fall, maybe. Who knows if it'll turn out that way. Did my last kind of big outdoor ride for the year on my bike. That's a bicycle with pedals that I had to turn around in little motions. It's called the Covered Bridges Ride. It, just really nice. Bucks County, Pennsylvania, those don't know it. It's outside Philadelphia, kind of north. A lot of farms, horse country as well. But they have a lot of old covered bridges, so they do this ride every year. And it's the first time I've done it. It's their 40th anniversary. A lot of people out there, it's just, it's, it was a nice day. Most people would tell you, no, it wasn't a nice day. For me, it was just fine. A little misty. <laughs> Had a little rain in the morning before the ride got started. A little rain after it ended. So I was good all the way around. Cool. So I didn't overheat. Some people say, ah, it's too cold. Ah, it was wet. Now, I will agree. The roads were a little wet. Maybe meant you had to, you know, do things a little differently, but I probably would have anyways because it was a new course for me. Never ridden the area. And I did try to get out the day before and drive around and enjoy being outside again because the weather was nice. But it's never the same when you're in a car. And I ended up doing this hill. Uh, I won't even get into it. Just a brutal hill. So I met this person while I was riding. He ended up parking right next to me. We didn't start at the same time because this is a ride where you can kind of start when you want to. It's not time per se but he stayed out I stopped at they have these little rest stops so you can you know fill up your water bottle stuff and he stayed out and kept going so I had seen him when we got started he started a little before me I passed him and then I caught him again right after we did this other big hill and he's like okay so they got this new little thing this year and you can go this way it's kind of like you know special new edition sort of thing and oh it was New edition, all right. Hardest thing far and away I've ever done on a bicycle, and I was just thankful that I made it to the top of this hill. But I did. And I still got to enjoy the weather. So it was nice that it was cool. It's nice, actually, there was a little mist. Wind came around. It was tolerable. I, you know, I. it's tricky. Wind's, you know, of, of all the ingredients with riding a bike, wind's probably the one that's the most challenging um, to deal with on a regular basis in that, you're out there, 
and it seems like every direction you turn, you have a headwind. Well, of course, it's going to feel that way, whether it is that way or not. But, you know, it's it's just one of those things that those of us who ride bikes have to deal with. But I, I've learned to, interestingly, listen to the sound the wind makes relative to the music, if I'm listening to music in headphones. And I was doing that on this because it helps me kind of pace myself. And I can tell the wind level a lot of times more by how much interference there is in the audio, from an audio perspective versus how it feels. And every so often you'll really know you got a tailwind when you're going along and it's just quiet or you don't hear the noise of the wind. But it wasn't one of those days. But thankfully, you know, it was a pretty mild wind overall. I hope your fall is the weather that you like. Now, clearly for some ultra marathoners this past weekend, that was not the case. Now, we covered a story in China earlier in the year, this time, Western U.S., Salt Lake City area, area called the Wasatch Valley. Those that don't snow ski may have never heard of this area, but those that do probably know of it, okay? It's a beautiful area to ski. I've I've had the good fortune of, of having done that a few times in my life. But I also like it because elevation wise, a lot of snow can fall in areas that still have trees. And I prefer kind of that breakup of trees versus being above the tree line. But these ultra marathoners, you know, the story, the story broke literally as I was doing kind of some final checks for the weather the day before my ride, because decided to stay close to where it was just so I wouldn't have to get up real early and drive all the way over there. I was doing a little check and this headline popped up about, ultra marathon being canceled sort of thing. And I was like, what in the world's going on? I, didn't we just go through this? Didn't, didn't this sort of thing already just happen not too long ago? Why is this happening again? Well, of course, partway through the story, you hear one of the organizers say, no one called for 12 to 18 inches of snow on top of this peak. And I immediately I started going, okay, whether that's true, you know, so I started looking now, it not being ski season, you don't necessarily get a lot of forecast yet. That's not the focus so far. So you're not going to get, like, you know, during ski season, you get everybody throwing out snow forecasts sort of thing. And there's a lot of attention paid to it. And the organizers may have had a private weather company give them a forecast. I, I'm not going to delve into that. My speculation is based on the stories I read. I don't know that they did. I'm not going to say whether they did or not because I really don't know. But they kind of talked it as if they were it, it just the the quote hit me wrong. So I went and looked at the only place I knew to conveniently get you know some sort of text-based forecast, not graphical or, or anything else, where I could really say, all right, did somebody call for what and how much? And what I'll say is starting on Thursday and again on Friday and, and maybe even before that, I didn't go back too far because this was a kind of a changing environment. We're dealing with kind of first real blizzard type conditions in the u.s in many areas over the weekend and, and actually still going on now for the season and the forecast was pretty clear to me it said that things will start as rain the snow you know what the snow line was going to be elevation wise and then that it was going to drop and how all that was going to play out and you know it, it was a pretty good forecast now did it call for necessarily 12 to 18 inches of snow no it did not and that was the only text forecast I read. 
did it clearly say that it was probably going to snow at a certain elevation and that areas could receive it? I think it called for like one to four inches, which, you know, it's a lot less. And it's very specifically had the qualifying statement, though, is there could be locally heavier amounts, you know, when because of the, t- the nature of the storm that certain areas were likely going to get more snow. At some point, I don't know what the threshold is. You know, the organizers made it sound like, and some of the people that were kind of quoted is, you know, people are used to dealing with with a certain amount of snow. And I started thinking to myself, and I was I saw pictures of people that were actually part of the event, and I was thinking to myself, they didn't look like they were ready for snow. I mean, the outfits, yes, they looked like they were ready for cold, cooler temps or colder temps. But my my guess is that most of these people, no matter what they say that they're used to or can expect, they don't train in snow. And I, I can tell you, when it's near freezing and snow is falling, and because it's snow, there's a good chance it's kind of sticking to you and getting you wet because it's, you know, it's kind of that right around freezing tends to be a heavier, wetter snow. I don't very quickly can cause things like hypothermia. Even if you are used to running in chilly conditions, et cetera, the wet versus the cold, you know, all those components come into play. Just like we talk about the other extreme before, right? That the heat and the humidity, right? Just straight up heat versus when you start throwing in the humidity and we start uh, looking at wet bulb and all those sort of things, different outcomes because it has to do with how you're cooling and your ability to cool if you you know, if you can't evaporate away, well, the reverse can true. You get evaporative cooling and it's cold. It just, again, could lower your body temperature, could be a bad outcome. Thankfully, that's not what happened here, right? Everybody was accounted for. They did call the race off. And I think they had enough things in place to where they were prepared to deal with a situation. May not have played out exactly like they wanted to, but I'm thankful that that no one got injured. The end of the day, that's what really matters. But it just kind of gets you thinking about weather and percentages and ratios. And let's let's be clear, okay? Weather and the science around weather is built around a set of equations that we use in whether it's issued weather forecasts or our relationships between, you know, things like temperature and pressure, whether it's understanding things at a micro scale or a big scale. But, you know, when you work in the field of weather, particularly if you're doing any sort of research, I mean, you're constantly in the math and that can be big, deep equations. But a lot of times when we're, when we're evaluating and considering things or you're investigating something under longer terms like climate, you know, you're going to deal with percentages and ratios and things like normals and standard deviation or deviations sort of thing. It doesn't have to be these long, crazy, you know, mathematical equations that for some people it's, you know, it becomes overwhelming. But no matter how you kind of slice weather, there's math involved, right? And and it's the same in how forecasts are issued, right? You got a certain percentage of chance of rain or rain versus snow or those sort of things. So it's always going on. Even though 
we've got this you know, way of looking at things that you know, kind of involves another language, if you will. That's always the way I thought about it in grad school. It's just a, it was another language. That language doesn't have to be overly complex. And sometimes if, if you really want to study whether and you really want to be involved in research, yeah, you're going to get in a certain level of complexity. And heck, let's, let's be clear. Weather is the reason that we even have this idea of chaos theory, right? That's where it got started from. Yes, everybody thinks that, you know, some magical thing like Ian Malcolm in Jurassic Park, who is a chaotician, you know, all of a sudden was where all this was born. No, it was really understanding the relationships of this nonlinear behavior, you know, start throwing out all sorts of terms if we want to, but many people know it as the butterfly effect. And that's my whole, my kind of the point, right? Is you can take something that's very complex in one realm, if you want to, if you really want to dive into it. And I still remember having to write computer code to try to create this kind of chaos effect, but the butterfly effect, we've learned ways to describe it. That doesn't have to be as complicated, right? It's the premise is that, you know, different ways the story is told, but if a butterfly flaps its wings, that you know, outcome A happens instead of outcome B that's of major consequence. But the idea of chaos theory was one of the reasons that we've learned about what some of the limits are about forecasting weather as we understand it today, because we have these little pivot points, right? And as you go along, one thing can lead to another and so on. And that's one little thing adding up another little thing. And it, again, it gets into not everything is just an A plus B kind of thing can over time change things dramatically if those pivot points are at critical moments in whether it's the weather spectrum or anything else. It can happen in anything in life, right? Now, butterfly flapping its wing is not the reason that dinosaurs went extinct or some other movie that I've probably seen before. But the, but the fundamental kind of concept is the same, that you don't, while we have these relationships... There are ways of telling the story that don't have to be complex. And we always are working with that in the weather field. And I kept getting back to these ultra marathoners. And I was thinking to myself, you know, is there some way or are we making this so complicated? And I started thinking about, okay, what is it in everyday life? Right? Is there some sort of ratio or rule? You, I mean, you heard me at the beginning use a, a quote from a Ron Burgundy movie. And it's one that always makes me laugh. We have, you know, things even with snow, right? We use this, what we call the water to snow ratio. Which one's it going to be? And it can depend on time of year and how much moisture and how cold the air is, et cetera, right? But I was wondering, is there something that exists outside of weather that we could translate back into weather? And is it even feasible, okay? And I started thinking about, okay, if is there one thing that we hold on to or is there one principle that I've heard used more and more again in just about every aspect of life? And it has to be. The only thing I could really think of was the old 80-20 rule, right? And it's interesting that rule, which actually does have a real name, it's called the Pareto Principle, which is named after the person who discovered that 20% of the people in Italy owned 80% of the land. Now, this was over 100 years ago. I don't know if that still holds. But it's been applied to so many things. It's been applied in other economic situations, like 20% of the people have 80% of the world's wealth or whatever it is. But as you know, 
it applies to other things in life, right? I hear about it a lot in tech, and that can be something as simple as 20%. If you solve 20% of the bugs, the right 20%, it solves 80% of the reported problems with your software. It, it, again, it's not always necessarily, it's about how one thing relates to another. So it's looking for the things where you can make the most difference, right? That's really fundamentally what it gets down to. And it's the same thing even with writing code, that the hardest 20% to write takes 80% of your time. You know, so it's kind of the reverse of the bug fix thing. But we see it in just general business as well. I, I remember in sales training back in the day when I was in that realm of my life, even thinking about people and they had, you know, you have people that you consider eagles in terms of sales that are just kind of natural at it. And they, they always throw that kind of 20% of the people are, are in that category. And then the, the rest of the 80% of the people who make a living in sales have to work at it and have to work hard and really kind of, you know, constantly evolve and update and stay on top of training and all those sort of things because it doesn't maybe come to them naturally. It doesn't mean they're not good or successful, even in the successful ones. There's some that just, it seems to come to naturally, but that, in, that doesn't hold just in, you know, that kind of situation. They can say the same thing about sports, you know, that the 20% of the best athletes deliver 80% of the points in any, you know, given thing. Again, across the board, businesses will tell you that, you know, their 20% of their core product line delivers 80% of the revenue and, and you can go on and on and on. 80% of the people use 20% of the streets, right? So you can find traffic log jams. Just about everything you look at, somebody will have figured out a way to apply the 80-20 rule. And I started wondering, well, maybe that's what we should be looking at in terms of weather. Because if you, seriously, if you Google like 80-20 and weather, the only example you get is how people waste time. So, it, you know, you're supposedly 20% of your time is when you're most productive and you generate 80% of your effectiveness. And yet you spend the rest 80% of your time doing things like talking about the weather or other things. And that's about the only example I could find. And the only other place I tend to find ratios with weather, interestingly enough, is related to what I was just talking about with snow versus you know, how much snow are you going to get? If you say you've got the equivalent of half an inch of rain or an inch of rain or a centimeter of rain, doesn't matter which it is, how much snow are you going to actually end up with? And there's different ratios that they use that are kind of guidelines, but they tend to be more used on my side of the equation, right? Yeah, people can understand it. You can tell them that, but you know, a lot of times it can range anywhere from four to one versus 12 to one. And it can be based on where you are. It can be based on the time of year, how cold it is, how much moisture is going to be available, how close you are to freezing. All those things can kind of come into play and drive changes in that ratio. But that seems like an awfully complex situation, right? The 80-20 rule, yeah, it can fluctuate, certainly. But the premise is still kind of you give, give one and you kind of get to the other. So I started thinking about other things I work with. And I looked at tropical cyclones. I said, oh, hurricanes, tropical cyclones, can something apply? I was like, mm, do 20% of the hurricanes or named storms, is there some 20% that deliver 80% of the damage? Or 
this thing you've heard me mention before, like ACE, uh, accumulated cyclonic energy. But that went off the charts because there was, for instance, this year, one storm that delivered a third of it. So, well, that won't work if we've had 20 named storms. But interestingly, as an example, there were 20% of the storms historically of named storms became major hurricanes. But because it didn't relate to the damage, it stayed, you know, maybe it's something that could stay within the science, but it kind of defeated the purpose I was looking for. And then I started thinking, well, maybe we should be looking at defining things differently. Instead of having you know, the ES scale for tornadoes or the Saffir-Simpson scale for tropical cyclones and hurricanes, maybe we'd be better off defining something as 80-20, right? Always look for where the threshold is at some sort of something close to 80-20 and say, all right, this is one of those 20% of the storms is the most destructive or the most deadly. And that could be winter storms. It could be tropical cyclones because maybe that would be easier for people to translate and use. And you could even think about it in the context of it could be different for somebody who forecasts for the whole country versus somebody who forecasts locally. And they could do the same thing. This There's some sort of standard behavior you use and say, okay, this falls in a threshold of, you know, based on what we usually get with a storm for this area. And we want to convey how serious it is by saying, listen, it's one of the 20% and it's more, it causes 80% of the power outages or it causes 80% of the accidents on the road. And maybe that would trigger something in people. I don't know. But what I'd like to see is I don't, I, I know some of it is just because that's the way news happens, right? To get you to read a story, there's got to be something to the story. But there's got to be a way for the organizers and the participants in this case, or anything that we're dealing with, why people choose not to evacuate during hurricanes, why people choose to go out when weather is going to be dangerous or the roads are going to be slippery. How is it that we better convey that? And is there the potential to use something that's used like the 80-20 rule across other parts of our lives? I'd be curious what you think. Because I just got to imagine there's some things that we can do that better relate other aspects. It's kind of like the point of this podcast, right? Relate other aspects of our lives to how we convey weather such that when it matters, it gets people to act. I don't know. Let me know your thoughts. Mark underscore Jelinek at Twitter. You can pop me a thing there. Actually, I wanted to bring up Twitter because I did post a little snippet of video on there in a tweet. By the time this episode's out, it you know won't be too far back in my profile. But if you look at my recent tweets, it should be pretty close. A part of that ride. So I, I've got myself going into one of the cover bridges or toward it. You, you know, if you want to see that, it's fine. I'll probably have some picture from this weekend in the in the show notes as well, or in the you know as the profile pic for for this episode. Pop me an email. What is about the weather at gmail.com. You can also hit that account on Twitter. Last point, I'm going to bring up survey one last time. What is about the weather.com slash survey? What is about the weather.com slash survey? Take a couple minutes. I'd like to do an episode here soon that kind of reviews what people said. There's some some interesting stuff. Some stuff I kind of, you know, thought it might fall a certain way. And others I was really surprised about. So 
let me know your thoughts. Whether it's a, taking the survey, please. Whether it's giving me what you think, I, you know, no thought. The only, the only useless thought is the one not shared, right? I, I'd be curious to know. I always am interested in hearing from people about how they think that things could be done better and, and maybe think of it in the context of how it relates to everyday life. But in the meantime, the next time you're sitting down to have a snow cone when 24 hours earlier you thought you might be sitting next to the fire after coming in out of the snow, just remember there's much more to weather than the weather itself. <laughs>